Hi, welcome back. Michelle Sparks with you. You know, I was saying in another video that I would talk more about the voices. And I think the best way I can do that is to just read to you what it was like to be in that experience back then for me. And um, yeah, I hope it resonates in some way with your own experience. This is when I was just returning into year 10 after the school holidays. I had been progressively on the anorectic path for a period of about two to three years at this stage and I had I had lost weight kind of more slowly in the beginning and then quicker and quicker towards the end, at, towards this time, about two, three years into it. And uh, the voices definitely became more intense. The whole battle became more intense. So I'm going to just start at a chapter called Escalating Conflict. So by the time I returned to school to settle into year 10, I was no longer under any illusions about my appearance. I was a skinny, scrawny runt. I was not attractive. My skin was dry, my hair was brittle and falling out, and my teeth constantly shattered, chattered with cold. And my friends were not jealous of my iron will and self-control, as I had once supposed they were. They were alarmed. I knew I had a problem, could admit that I was a fanatic, but I had no idea how to put the brakes on, and I wanted to. The added stress on my parents was more than I had bargained for. I had been trying to climb up from under the guilt I felt about being a burden on them, and here I was with a new problem to add to their load. I felt terrible. This is a diary snippet. My parents have enough on their minds without worrying sick over a crazy little girl who bought it all on herself. My parents tried to understand. We would sit and talk about my problem, but really I had no idea why I was starving myself. I readily agreed that I needed to eat more and stop exercising every waking minute of the day. I just couldn't do it. I would go to bed determined to add a heap of healthy foods to my diet the next day, but my resolve seemed to disappear with the morning light. I would join the family for dinner, sit with a smile plastered on my face, try and ignore the anxious knot in my stomach, the automatic computation of calories in my head, the plan to eat less tomorrow and exercise later that night, and tell myself and everyone else, this is good, see, I, I can do this. I've got to get this calorie notion out of my head. Diary excerpt. When forbidden to exercise, I'd grit my teeth and pretend to be okay. I'd walk around the house, restless and edgy. If I couldn't lose myself in study, I'd disappear downstairs to and say I was listening to some music. I actually used the 45-minute audio tapes to tally up the time I spent skipping rope. When my parents realised what I was doing, I had to become more devious. I would wait until everyone was asleep before climbing out of bed to go for a run. Sleep was impossible anyway. There was no rest until every last calorie had been um, squared away with exercise. I hated the deception, but it was easier to live with than the accusations of guilt and failure in my head. I tried to talk myself out of my fears and tell myself it was okay, that I could afford to eat. I needed to eat. I even managed to put on a few pounds once or twice. I'd hop on the scales and say, good Michelle, that's what you want. But deep inside, another voice was tearing at me saying, no, no, no. And I'd quickly start the task of working it off again. Mum is upset over my weight. Oh, I hate myself for causing so much worry. But it's hard to try and get fatter. Began put on campaign. This time I'm making an all out effort. I could not explain my behavior. It went against every rational thought in my head. My father was furious and I feared his wrath. 
I kept trying to fatten up to please mum and dad to alleviate their stress, but the thought of putting on weight terrified me. It made me feel vulnerable, exposed, blurred around the edges, like I lost a clear sense of myself. Keeping a tight handle on, the, on my physical frame made me feel safe. The feel of my bones jutting out under, the, under my skin gave me a sense of containment, definition and clarity. If I let go or loosened my grip on this physical self, I felt like I would go splat and be no more. It sounds strange and I couldn't have explained why I felt this way at the time. But in trying to please all the people all the time, I had progressively given away control of my life, setting others up as the determinants of my worth and value. If I let go of control over my body, these, there would be nothing left to hold on to. I would be like a ship at sea without an, ad, without an anchor. I've got to stop kidding myself. I'm not trying hard enough. Dad is so angry at me about diet. Wake up to yourself, Michelle. I'm not honestly trying. I'm deceitful. I do my exercises in hiding. Twit, wake up to yourself. Be normal. My parents grew increasingly alarmed. My mother handled it better than my father. She seemed to understand that my behaviour reflected some terrible battle going on in my mind. My father saw with eyes that perceived the cold reality. His smart, talented daughter was slowly but surely killing herself. Why on earth was an intelligent girl doing this? This was a question he directed me at me often with a look of sheer exasperation on his face. It was truly beyond his comprehension. In my rational moment, it was also truly beyond my comprehension. God, Michelle, get a hold of yourself. What's going on here? I started writing letters to try and explain behaviour that even to myself had become clearly inexplicable. Letter to Mum and Dad, pre-admission. Dear Mum and Dad, I'm writing this because I know I'll be able to get more said. I know I'm causing you worry. Please believe, I don't mean to. I'd never do anything to deliberately worry you. I know you don't believe this, but it's honestly so hard to turn over a new leaf in a short time. I really do try. I'm forever fighting that stupid voice inside. I know I'm irritable and cruel to everyone, and I know it's not fair. I think that it's not only from dieting, but from the age I'm passing through. I often find myself hating myself and crying for all the stupidness and worry I've caused you. I have put on a little. I was at one stage X, lightly clothed. Now I'm Y. I know it's not much, but it's a start. I feel better. Everyone seems to think it must be easy to splurge on a lot of food and put on weight. It's not. I force myself to take a chocolate I can't enjoy it because all I do is think about how I can run it off. I've managed to push the calorie counting a little farther away. Believe me, I really am trying. I'm not going to be defeated. It's a psychological fight and I really am trying. When I considered the physical output of my emaciated body, at this stage my BMI was low. I knew that something was driving me harder than my weakened body could stand. But that thing brooked no argument. There was no question who was boss here. It wasn't my body or my rational mind. My body, like it or not, exhausted or not, just had to obey the dictates of this thing, this accusing voice that seemed to operate in the realm of my mind and scream for satisfaction. It was merciless. I gained through this period an awe, almost a terror, at the strength of this accuser in my mind. Eventually, I would call the accuser Annie for anorexia. She was not my friend, but she was inextricably intertwined with the whole fabric of my life. 
I could extract myself from her grasp and I woke every day to do battle with her. At times she appeared to lie dormant, but any time she wanted she could throw Michelle out of the control room of her life and I would be like a puppet on a string, unable to do anything but yield to her demands. It's okay, I would tell myself as I tossed and turned in bed, trying to escape her voice. So, you've had more food than you planned today, and there's no way you can exercise. It's okay. You can afford these calories. Go to sleep. Tomorrow's another day. But the accuser would not let me sleep. Her voice would just get louder and more insistent. She wouldn't let up until I paid the price in full in exercise. I remember standing in the foyer of a public library a few months later when my BMI had dropped even further, feeling totally panicked and unable to move. I had gone to the bathroom at home 30 minutes before and had caught sight of my rear in the mirror. The sight had literally shocked me. Where the two cheeks of my buttocks should have met, I was completely concave. There was a real hollow there, no flesh at all, just a fine covering of skin over the coccyx and pelvic bones. My father often called me a Belson horror, and for the first time I really saw it. No wonder sitting was so painful. It was like Annie, my anorectic house guest, was temporarily sleeping, and I saw my reflection in the mirror with no response or distortion from her. I experienced briefly the full horror and repulsion of my situation. This was the real world, and this girl was disappearing out of it real quick. Oh God, I don't have a bottom. I don't. I'm scared of death and everything, and yet I still limit my food and my body is so weak. I remember feeling terrified that day. I did not want to die, yet I was killing myself. How could this be happening? It seemed that even my ability to choose life was slipping outside my control. I felt like a split person. My enemy and destroyer was somehow living inside me, was actually a part of me. How could I fight her? How could I win? For years, she was a faceless foe. I didn't even know what I was fighting. All I knew was that if I didn't fight, I would be destroyed. There was a battle raging within me for control of my life. The opponents, the accuser, Annie, versus me. The issue, my worth or worthiness. The, the game, how good are you? Prove your worth. The pawns, everything. But food and weight control, became the easiest way to quantify my success. The stakes, my life, am I worthy of keeping it or not? I believe this battle began three years earlier as I attempted to meet the standards of my internal critic. Here's the line my internal critic proposed in early high school. The better you walk it, the higher you score. You walk it perfectly, you score perfectly. You err to the right or to the left, you pay a price, depending how much you've slipped up. I started out in year seven and eight, early high school, thinking this was a fairly reasonable game. Until as the game continued in years nine and ten, I realised that nothing short of perfection would satisfy her. The more I tried to appease my internal critic, the stronger and more authoritative her voice became. By 1978, when I'm in year ten, I felt like I was squaring off against a distinct and powerful separate entity, Annie, the accuser. Every time I erred, which was now unavoidable, you know, you can't starve indefinitely, she declared me guilty of not being good enough. I had to agree. I had slipped up. 
And it was never a matter of just going, oh well, I missed it, never mind. I'll just pick myself up, dust myself off and start again. No, I could never start with a clean slate. I had to go back, make amends, pay the price for my error. And then, and only then, could I start again. <sighs> Obviously, it became extremely desirable to make no errors because the price was high and getting harder to pay the more weakened and emaciated I was becoming. In an, in an attempt to minimize slip-ups, I clamped down harder in the area of food and exercise, giving myself more rigid guidelines about what I could and couldn't have. I was getting thinner and thinner, allowing myself less and less in a desperate attempt to stay in control. I was on a treadmill and I didn't know how to get off. The problem was that somewhere in my heart I had agreed with the accuser's determination of my value and that my value and right to life was based on how good or perfect I could be. Wrong. But after three years of playing the game, keep, of playing the game, I couldn't see any alternative. So I kept trying to prove my worth, kept slipping and being accused of being hopeless and worthless. The frequency and intensity of the accusations kept increasing and I found it harder and harder to hold on to the stubborn belief that I had any value at all. The irony was that even in fighting the accuser, I was being destroyed. And I'm going to leave you there with a picture of the treadmill because I sh it, it really shows that battle, that wearing down process. And then I'll come back and I'll start again. I'll pick up because I just want to cover some material on the voices. I think that'll be really helpful for you if you are in this space. Okay. Hi, as you can probably gather, this is audio that has been stripped from video. And that video is available for you to check out on my YouTube channel. Just um, type my name, Michelle Sparks, into YouTube and that should come up for you. Same title, Escalating Conflict, Part 1. Would love your feedback. Would love, love to know how this is... Um, you know, how this speaks to your own experience. Ah, oh, it would just be so great to get some feedback and comments and questions. I think this is such a, an important part of the experience of people who travel this road. And it's going to get a lot more intense in actual fact. The development of the voices, the escalating conflict inside. It's such a difficult journey and um, I think to put it out there so that you can dialogue with those who care for you um, is just a really great place to uh, just really good material for you to pull apart and uh, explore in your own story. How does it resonate with you? How do you relate to it? How do you not relate to it? Um, obviously, the book format is available through Amazon Illuminating Anorexia, but um, I've spoken it and recorded it on both YouTube and here to really help anyone who is in this space. So, love your feedback. As I said, please do subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast so that you can take it, take um, you know that you can stay up to date with the material that I'm downloading there. Okay, until next time, travel well. Yeah.